0: So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you, it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Welcome to this week's podcast. We are gonna talk about how to model healthy coping mechanisms for your kids, and also how to adopt healthy coping mechanisms for yourself. A lot of us never learned how to cope with emotions without tuning out or wanting to numb out with alcohol. Brenda Zane is my guest. She's a family advocate, parent coach. She's the host of the podcast Hope Stream and the founder of an online community, The Stream helping moms of kids with substance use disorder. Brenda is the mom of four sons, the oldest of which struggled with an addiction to a high-risk lifestyle and illicit opioids and benzodiazepines for over five years. After nearly losing her son to multiple fentanyl overdoses, Brenda left corporate America to serve other families dealing with the fear, confusion, and helplessness parents usually feel when they have a child who's misusing drugs. So we're going to talk about three components of healthy coping mechanisms that you can model for your kids that will let them manage negative emotions or emotions that they, they don't know how to cope with without numbing out or getting into alcohol or drugs. And they are components that I think we should all have as well. So I'm hoping you'll learn something not only for your kids, but for yourself. I also have to say that Brenda lives in the Seattle area, and we've known each other online for about a year. And we finally got to meet in person last weekend, which was amazing. And Brenda also quit drinking during the pandemic and has great insight into all the benefits she's found and i think what you went through brenda was a lot of what a lot of women do right you were struggling with your kids you were in a highly stressed environment and so you turned to drinking as well
1: yeah i mean drinking is i think it's just a, such a part of life it's just like water right and yeah i did quit during the pandemic and i i don't have A crazy story. I don't have, you know, any of those moments where I was like stumbling around or anything like that, which I think can be really confusing for women, for anybody, but especially for women, because you measure yourself against others. And if yours isn't that bad, then you must be okay. And so the pandemic just really, I don't know what it was. It it just brought so much to light. I think when you're at home all the time, life was very stressful. Um, I'm in a better place now with my son, but uh, man, I went through some really challenging times with him. And so, yeah, it's um, it's been life-changing and I'm super excited about it to talk to you about it and just to help other parents kind of navigate through this really tricky and confusing topic. I think it's just and it's one that doesn't get talked about in the substance use world from the perspective of parents.
0: Yeah. Well, and I know a lot of women who are listening to this kind of get to the point where they're like, I better get this in line or I need to deal with this because their kids get older to the point where they start to notice it and they start to worry about their kids drinking or their kids doing drugs. And they're kind of like, What am I modeling for my kids that I'm, you know, getting buzzed, getting drunk, you know, tuning out every single night. So I'm telling them not to drink. And yet they see me drinking a bottle of wine every night. So, you know, I know a lot of women when they get to this point, they want to stop or get this under control or deal with this not only for themselves, but also because they're worried about what they're
1: showing their kids every day. 100%. Yeah, it really does when they start to get to those tween years in particular is when kids are starting to experiment. I mean, I have, you know, I run a community for moms and we have kids 12, 13 who are starting to drink, starting to use marijuana and uh you know, it's shocking, but it's just reality and so you have to start looking in the mirror and saying what am I modeling? How am I showing my kids how to cope? Um, What do you do when you have a hard day? What do you do when you don't make the soccer team? All of those things. And so, yeah, it kind of starts to become uncomfortable Mm -hmm. when you are looking at those things. And you're saying one thing and then doing the other. And kids are sponges, as you know, you've got some. Uh, they're sponges and they, they will really look at what you are doing way more than they're going to listen to what you're saying.
0: Well, before we dive into it, one of the things I loved when we were talking earlier was just you were so exuberant and positive, and talked so clearly about how much better your life got when you quit drinking. And I know it's really recent for you. I mean, when I stopped drinking, it was five plus years ago. A lot of my guests stopped a number of years ago. So since it's so recent, will you tell us like how you physically felt when you stopped drinking versus before?
1: Yes, I would say um, I had been on, on an antidepressant medication for, oh, 10 years, probably, um, and I had and I had actually gotten off of it a couple of years ago, so I didn't stop taking that because I quit drinking. But I still struggled with a lot of ups and downs. It was either like lots of ups and downs, or just kind of neutral, and and just a lot of I would call it depression—not maybe clinical depression, but just not feeling great. Um, mornings I would just drag, and just not feeling great in general. So the depression like literally vanishing was probably the biggest shock. I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. (laughs) What just happened? It literally Um, vanished. Just like vanished. Like it, it was really, really strange. Um, and you know, I used to hear about people that would, um, and, and when I would travel for business, like people would be bright and chipper and, and happy in the morning. And I was like, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, how do you feel so great in the morning? <laughs> and I just thought they were a certain breed of people. Um so that has definitely changed just like waking up and feeling excited for the day. There's days where I don't jump out of bed for sure because I I like to stay up late and work, but you know, just feeling great in the morning and and then the emotional regulation to not have this I was just noticing maybe it's because I'm getting older, this very evident decline in my mood at the end of the day. So as I would have a glass of wine or gin and tonic or whatever, I thought that it was like, oh, this is my treat. This is my reward. And it was great for like half an hour. And then I would just progressively get kind of more sad over the course of the night. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was normal. I was like, oh, Oh, you know, that's just it's a long day. I'm unwinding. And at the end of the day i'm I'm tired. And so cutting out alcohol, I was like, "Oh, I actually feel the same at eight thirty at night as I do at eight thirty in the morning. Yeah. And that was a revelation, like the emotional stability that I think it gave me because I work in an industry, and I work day in and day out with life and death situations. Um, the people I work with have kids who, are put you know they're using substances that are killing them, and so I have to be able to be emotionally very stable for them and I just couldn't do that when I had this substance in my life that was causing these these ups and downs, and so I would say just and and sleep I mean, holy cow, who knew that you could actually sleep through a night, yeah, and it that was yeah. That was pretty life-changing as well. Yeah. I just thought that the, the waking up at three with like a racing heart and anxiety, I just thought that that was caused from my work, my you know stress in life. I just thought that was normal. Um, and I, I'll never forget a, a girlfriend saying, oh, your doctor hasn't given you Xanax for that yet. You just take Xanax at night and then <laughs> you don't have that wake up. <laughs>
0: When I was drinking, I used alcohol to calm my mind, to relieve anxiety, and to sleep well at the end of a busy day. I didn't know that alcohol actually spiked my stress hormone, increased anxiety, and as little as one glass of wine a night reduced my sleep quality by 24%. I was really excited to find Tanasi, a better way to find calm, rest, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code hello and get ready to sleep well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, I took Ambien. Like I would just kept going to my doctor and saying I had insomnia and he was like, here you go. And so I would drink a bottle of wine and take an Ambien, which is super safe. I mean,
1: sarcasm, right?
0: (laughs) Totally dangerous so dangerous so yeah.
1: dangerous and yeah. you know y- you don't want to blame doctors because they do what they can do um, oh and i'm sure i didn't tell them the truth about how much right. i was
0: drinking i was like my <laughs> job is so stressful i just have a couple of drinks a couple nights a week like i wasn't mm-hmm. like i'm drinking a bottle plus every night
1: you know right right oh did i miss that information <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, you, you just start, at least for me, I think it just started impacting me more um, to where I was noticing it. Like, "Ah, I just feel, you know, so kind of sad and down at the end of the night. And that's just not me. Um, But when it happens, you know, over a long period of time, you don't, Necessarily, you can't necessarily pull that apart and and recognize what it is. And so, like for your listeners, the more you start educating yourself, it's like, well, no wonder I feel this way, you know, yeah, especially if you're taking antidepressant, it's like, so in the morning I take an antidepressant, and then at five o'clock I take a depressant. Yeah. Like that makes no sense. Yeah. But
0: nobody is telling you that. Well, and also they always tell you not to drink when you're taking anti-anxiety and antidepressants. But I kind of thought that was a joke. I was like, well, half the people I know are on antidepressants and they're all drinking. So it must just be one of those like cover your ass doctor, you know, like this drug may cause, you know, diarrhea, stomach pains, blindness, you know how they do that on all the commercials.
1: Exactly, exactly. And when you're in, you know, you and I were both in corporate America and in marketing, and that world revolves around alcohol. And if we were in the office, three o'clock, the bar cart came out, and it sounds so Mad Men, but Oh, no, it happened at me with me. too. Yeah. And so it's just part of the culture. And then you wine and dine clients. And I mean, it just is so normal. And I never really saw anybody not drinking in when I was in in that world and I also represented a lot of alcohol brands and so
0: I was laughing about this because we were talking and Brenda actually was in advertising representing my absolute go-to wine like I we live in the Seattle area um, Chateau Saint-Michel Syrah. That was my jam. Yes. Literally would buy six plus bottles of it a week. Um, and Brenda represented them. They actually, the big beautiful winery is three miles from my house. And I'm pretty sure that's why I moved here. So yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. That's crazy. And so
0: we were on the same wavelength there.
1: I was I was your pusher. I was oh no. <laughs> you,
0: you know what? I didn't need a push, right? I was already over the line.
1: You were there. But, you know, it is true that, um, you know, as far as marketing, the, you know, we had 50 page strategy documents and PowerPoint decks on how to market to women and what was important to women. And, um, you know, I, I'm not putting down Chateau Saint-Michel at all. Like, I think they're beautiful people. I think it's an amazing place. They have great concerts. Um, But There is a ton of strategy that goes into because I let it marketing to women, especially marketing to women with young kids. We had that deck. It was probably about Oh my God. I want to
0: do an entire episode about this. Would you be up for that? You know, we don't have to talk about that. Just about the strategy because I just did an episode on like literally came out. Yesterday on the mommy wine culture and I go into the articles about the feminization of marketing to women and the targeting of moms with the wine and alcohol industry. But you were there. I mean, I worked in marketing for years for L'Oreal. I know we did focus groups and in-depth studies and we paid all the influencers and we looked at what was resonating and did A B testing and messaging and all that shit. So you did that for a winery for alcohol companies targeting women with 50 page decks about how
1: to influence them. Oh, yeah. And million, million, millions of dollars of budget. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we have to do budgets,
0: we have to do an episode on that so that people can recognize it. I think that would be wonderful. But let's talk about what we're here to talk about today, which is healthy coping mechanisms, both for yourself and to model for your kids. And so tell me what those are and also how you help the women in your community work with that.
1: Yeah. So I think this is really important to talk about um, because one of the biggest reasons why young you know, tweens and teens start experimenting with drugs, with alcohol is because it's really hard being a tween and a teen today. And there's tons of stuff that they're dealing with. And if they don't know how to handle their emotions, they are very smart. And as we know, alcohol works brilliantly at relaxing you. So does Xanax, so does Oxycontin, so does marijuana. So that's the easy button for them. And so it's important as parents, when you have kids in the house to, from a very young age, but even if they're in their, their tweens or teens now, to model for them how to cope with life because life is hard. It, it isn't always going to be easy. And we want them to not turn to a substance to manage life. And to live life. And so I think the three key kind of components of that um, to talk about today are role modeling how you deal with your mind, how you deal with your body, and how you deal with your community. Uh, those are three really important pieces of the puzzle. The mind, really, being that we need to make sure our kids know that all emotions are okay you don't have to be happy all the time. As parents are always like, Oh, we want to see our kids happy. We want to see them smiling and laughing and giggling. And that's great.
0: Well, and we don't like them to like be surly or down or sort of rude to us. And I noticed this with my 13 year old son, who, you know, sometimes he's grumpy. And I always want him to be like, love you, mom, you're the best mom. You know, because I'm, I remember my daughter seven, I remember him at seven and five. And just the cuddles and the love and the joy and the exuberance. And of course, puberty, 13, all the changes, right? It, It has to happen. And yet, I know I don't allow him as much as I should to be in the mood he's in. I want him to smile for me right
1: right and and that's really hard because they do feel all of that and we need to just be curious when they are feeling that why are you feeling that way and i you know i feel that way too sometimes so just really validating for them yeah it's okay to be angry it's okay to be sad it's okay to be lonely those are all totally valid emotions to feel now what are we going to do with that emotion yeah. and and this is where especially with alcohol it comes in because a lot of times what we don't realize is we come home from work oh what a day as we're pouring a glass of wine so mm-hmm. what is that telling our kids the way you deal with a rough day is you make it go away with a substance in in some cases yeah. it's wine in some cases especially you know like in our state marijuana is legal recreationally um, more and more parents are using marijuana in front of their kids. And so we just need to be really careful about what message we're sending. How yeah. do you cope with these tough emotions? Yeah. And not a lot of parents say, oh man, what a rough day. I'm going to do some yoga, Yeah, which would be a much healthier. And that's what we would want our kids to do, right? Do yeah. we want our kids to come home from seventh grade, eighth like, grade? Like go play
0: sports. Right. Go do Do something. something. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we're pouring our glass slash bottle of wine. I have to say that once I stopped drinking, um, I did, you know, I've talked about this on the podcast before. I had at four months, a pretty major anxiety episode. Um, and, you know, after that, so I started going to therapy. I, started taking medication um, for it. I still do today. Um, and, you know, my son, who was like eight or nine at the time, kind of said, Oh, mom, what are what are you taking? Like I was taking pills every morning. And I started to dismiss it and just be like, Oh, it's just for vitamins or something. And then I stopped. And I said, actually, I feel a lot of anxiety and overwhelm. And this is medication to help lessen that and make me feel better. And that I just, I never heard that or got that message or got any messages like that from my parents. My parents were like, you know, you have no problems. We have no problems. You need to be grateful. My, my family comes from a long line of wasps. So, you know, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, like we do not talk about anything ever. Right so is good (laughs) we're fine we're fine deal with it move on like you know what I mean and so um you know when I was in college I was like my mom called me and she's like what's wrong and I was like oh I think I think my boyfriend and I are gonna break up right my first big real boyfriend and she was like we'll do it before lunch or you won't get your homework done you won't be able to concentrate. And I was just like, oh, damn, Mom, this is why I never talked to you about anything. You know, she was oh, just like,
1: my let's
0: get that over with because I don't want to And that was the end of the conversation. So right. I know that now I'm trying to be more open with with my kid about my own mental health um, struggles. Obviously, he you know, I quit drinking and you know, knows you know that it was because it was bad for me, and physically and mentally. But I have to admit, when I'm talking to you, that I don't really encourage him to feel his negative feelings. I probably do the waspy thing of like, <laughs> well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooby dot. So
1: yeah, yes. this conversation is yeah.
0: going to be really good for me.
1: Good, good. Well, it's it is hard because you're in that phase where they do go from being the cuddly, snuggly, super fun to this kind of alien creature that's living in your house. And there's, you know, there's not a manual for it. I mean, I'm sure there's a million books, Um, but it's just, you know, I, I try to, to work with the moms in my community, just to say the best thing is just the truth. Just, Say, wow, I'm so sad that you're feeling sad. Can we talk about it? Like, you know, and just really be curious about it because you will learn so much about him, about what he deals with, things that are happening at school. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, you can always just go back to knowing how it feels to have those things be dismissed and it doesn't feel good. Yeah. And so to just allow those and, and to celebrate those and say, okay, well, you know, let's do our sad dance or whatever, like we can, we can work through those and that will just benefit him in the long run. Because when he's, you know, 17 and he's dealing with some really hard stuff, A, he's going to know he can talk to his mom and she isn't going to freak out because we talk about emotions in our family. And I don't have to go vape marijuana in the bathroom because I can do these seven other things that I've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. And what
0: Um, happens if your kids are at the point where they're like, I don't want to talk to you, where they're kind of hostile or they're worried that they're just going to get in trouble or, you know what I mean? That relationship has gotten... mm -hmm strained to the point where encouraging them to talk to you at this point is sort of not happening. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep. It is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. and use promo code hello for 15% off your first order
1: the well it goes back to modeling so what are they seeing so are you if you're saying you know oh you know what kind of friends do you have or are you hanging out with these friends well who are you hanging out with are you isolating at home so really looking at what you're modeling and then just being really honest with them and saying dude this sucks i miss talking to you yeah. I miss going out on a jog with you or whatever it is that you used to do. Um, And the more that we can just be real with them and just say, I hate this. I hate that we don't talk anymore. I yeah. hate that we don't do this. Can we, can you, you know, talk to me about it and they may be surly and brush you off, but you got to keep at it. Yeah. It's probably not going to happen the first time, but if you're consistent and you're genuine about it and you're not snarky or passive aggressive, which a lot of parents get to that passive aggressive stage with their teenagers. Um, it's hard to be vulnerable like that with, with our kids to get to the point where you can say, First of all, this sucks because I really love you and I would really love to have a relationship with you. I know it's not going to be fun and snuggly and cuddly like it was when you were five, but maybe we can go stand a paddleboard together or maybe we can go whatever, you know, you kind of have to elevate that yeah.
0: relationship. I find that my son talks to me the most and maybe it's just because he's off his screen. Um and off the couch, like when we're driving, and in particular on the way home from baseball or basketball, yes. right? After he's yes. gotten his energy out, after he's seen some people, he tends to be really talkative on the way to practice. He's very quiet, but I know that's because I still drive him places, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah.
1: Yes, it's true. It's so true because at after practice, all of his good chemicals are flowing through his body. He's not face to face with you, yeah, because when you're sitting face to face, like, okay, we are going to have this talk. Nothing's gonna come out. like mm-hmm. they, they are going to just shut down. Um, and so finding those moments where they're they're actively doing something motion, walking, biking, whatever it is, is, is huge. And it just, it really goes back to, to that emotional regulation of you being okay to have and ready to have that conversation if it's going to happen at 930 at night. And you can't do that if you have three glasses of wine in you. Yeah. So it's, it's so important to be emotionally available to your tweens and teens when they are ready for it. Yeah. And that's probably not going to be at three o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon because they're going to be at school or they're going to be at practice or whatever your moments for those conversations might come at 1130 at night when they come home from a party and you want to have a, you know, a check-in with them and smell their breath and look in their eyes and you got to be present
0: for that. Yeah. I know I was just talking to a client this morning who's at about two months and without alcohol. And she was saying that one of the best things that happened to her this week was both of her sons called her separately. Um, one's a little bit, one's out of college, one's going to college next year at night. And she was totally present and able to offer really good advice to one of her sons that that wanted to talk to her and wasn't three, four glasses of wine in and unable to really focus or be there. And with her other son, just have a really fun exchange. And, you know, sort of looking at like,
1: that was really good. Yes, yes. And they noticed that they noticed the difference if you are dialed in totally present, enjoying them, enjoying them, you know, yeah. being there versus you know kind of trying to stay a little bit back and you know just not being able to focus um it's huge and they see that and so yeah i i would say that's from a emotional regulation standpoint um is so important and then also just from a, mo- a role modeling standpoint with your body um you know kids are going through such massive change in their bodies um, during those those years as they're growing up and getting into adolescence and it i think along with talking about emotions talking about how we need to take care of our bodies and not from a like you need to exercise type of a standpoint but you know saying and and the brain is part of the body right so we somehow we've lobbed off our brain as some other thing like it's okay to go lift weights for your arm muscles and it's okay to swim and do all those things but if you're going to take care of your brain by maybe going to see a therapist once a week or twice a month somehow that's become this other weird thing yeah and the more we can normalize that because sometimes teens don't want to talk to their parents or stuff is going on that they don't feel like they can talk to their parents so being able to role model Hey, I go see a therapist. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. It's like we talk about preventative medicine. We want to prevent heart attacks. We want to prevent diabetes. We want to prevent all of these things. Well, we also want to prevent our brains from taking us to places that they don't need to take us. And seeing a therapist or being a part of a group or, you know, whatever it is for the kids that they need, that's good body management, that's just taking care of your body and normalizing that as well as talking about your emotions. So all of a sudden, if I can talk to my mom about my emotions, whether they're good or bad, and I can say, gosh, you know what? There's just, I'm feeling this, I'm just not feeling right. Is there a doctor for that and making that doctor not be shameful? Like, yeah, oh, my daughter wants to go see a therapist and freaking out about it. Like celebrate that. <laughs> That's yeah. <a> great thing.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, completely. I mean, I know, you know, I started seeing a therapist and, and did, you know, I was open about it because I was gone every Thursday night after work, but I, right. but I might've been anyway. And now I certainly am. And I see kids in there, like teenagers, and I am just not jealous, but so happy, but yes. wish that when I was 16 and 17 and 18 and feeling all of this, I mean, my sister had a suicide attempt when I was 13. And again, when I was 16, like, oh my that shit is hard. And my yeah. parents did not want to talk to me about it. I think we had one conversation. And it was just like, kind of like, I can't deal with you. I'm dealing with this big thing, you know, right. we will take care of it. Don't worry. your pretty little head about it. And it was huge for me. Um, and put on top of that, like getting into college, where do you go feeling isolated breakups with boyfriends? So I see these teenagers in there and I'm like, oh my God, good for you. Because I probably could have saved myself many, many years of, yeah, bad coping mechanisms where I drank wine. And- or beer. I was a keg girl in college. <laughs> um, yeah, I joined the rugby team was introduced to kegs. I went to college in Maine. Wow. That was like my jam. And my roommate sophomore year and I used to watch like, bad talk shows. I swear to God, it was like Ricky Lake with rosé out of a box before dinner. Like that was what we did. It was like, so, you know, classy, obviously. Yeah. But like I found alcohol and I was like, oh, my God, this shuts off my brain. This takes away my fears. I stop worrying about the future, what I'm saying or if I'm awkward. And so I'm hopefully these kids getting it younger. If you model it, if you encourage it, if you make it available, can save them some pain. Because I know my husband works in a middle school. He used to be dean of students for high school. And the biggest thing that they worry about with their kids is mental health. Um,
1: absolutely. There
0: is so much pressure on kids about college, about succeeding, about competition um, or about like checking out. Cause you feel like you, you're not, gonna, you're not competitive. So I'm going to protect myself from feeling
1: like I don't measure up. Um, so yeah. it's so important. Yes, absolutely. And, and, I love what you said about just making it available and making it just like you would say, oh, honey, do you want to go see a dermatologist for all the acne on your face? <laughs> hey, honey, do you want to talk to somebody about all of these issues that are going on at school? These kids are dealing with so much. My uh, four kids, my two youngest um, stepson's are are 15 and 16. And it's just a lot. Like They deal with stuff that we didn't, Um, when we were in high school, social media is just ridiculous. Yeah, There's just so much going on that that may be uncomfortable for them to talk to us about. So I think adding it to the repertoire, how do you say that word? Repertoire. Repertoire. Yes. Of um, tools that are available to them is just fantastic because then they don't feel weird if they have to ask for it or- in in a lot of cases, they just won't ask for it. So
0: yeah, you know, what's cool, too, that I just saw. So I um, always dealt with anxiety, like it was just something, you know, as a kid growing up. And my wish would be that both of my kids never had to deal with that. Like that was just, you know, and I felt like my son, I, he was, he's a chill guy. Like he does not worry a lot. And I was like, Oh, thank God. And then my daughter, who's seven, um, starting two years ago, every night when she gets into bed, she's worried the next day about school, like crying, am I smart enough? I'm not going to get into second grade. And I'm just like, Oh, honey, you're good. You know, like, I tried reassurance, I tried um, minimizing it, I tried all these things, right. And so we started listening to, um, anxiety meditations for kids off insight timer and just holding hands and like the breathing and trying that, which seemed to really help. And then one, a friend of mine who actually was one of my early podcast guests, she does emotional freedom technique, the tapping, yeah. um, and came on to talk about that. And she, I, I talked to her often. I actually did tapping with her cause I thought it was super cool and um, she's hosting a workshop on helping kids with anxiety through tapping. And I like signed up within minutes. It's actually not till next week. But I just was like, yep, I need this. And so I'm going to
1: get we're going to see the recording. I'm going to do it with my daughter. That's awesome. And see, that's a perfect, perfect example of what you can do as role modeling to say look you i have anxiety i get anxious about things that are going to happen and here's a really cool way to to deal with that because Xanax will also deal with that but it's also not a really good way for her to go right so those um and i'm talking about when she's older and you know street Xanax <laughs> don't give beginning. a 7 year old Xanax yourself. no 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 no, no. no. Kidding. um no, I'm talking about later down the road when she is trying to cope with that. But if she has something in her, t- it's just like when you're building that sober toolbox. Yeah. You got to have your kids building their toolbox of, you know, okay, I'm feeling anxious. What did I do? Oh, I remember being with my mom that time and we did this tapping thing. And so that is just going to serve her so well down the road because she will turn to that or she'll be able to ask you and not feel weird about it. Like, hey, mom.
0: Hi there, if you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I wanna invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, The Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it, or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it and when it fits into your schedule. You don't need to work your life around, group meetings, or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com. You can start at any time and I would love to see you in the course.
1: remember when we did that weird thing with tapping and I felt so much better afterwards or I meditated. And so it's just, it's really making it so normal to deal with stuff like that. Um, Yeah. Well, and a lot of
0: people, and I know I'm still learning new coping techniques and new ways to, to feel better. And so if, you know, even we never learned those techniques and if, Drinking has been your main coping technique for overwhelm and anxiety and boredom and sadness and loneliness and anger for years. It's really important when you stop drinking to say, okay, I'm fucking angry. How do I deal with this? And I know some people do breath work. Some people run. Some people do yoga. Some people, you know, journal. Um, I talked about I did rage gardening, um, which was, nice. Helpful. Nice. And, you know, still trying to be like, okay, is it meditation for me? Is it tapping? Um, You know what, for me, it's calling my girlfriends and kind of bitching it out, you know, not venting to the point where it's unresolved, but you kind of got to get it
1: out of you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's probably a mix of those things, right? It's like, so oh, yeah, I need something like, uh, just like the rage gardening or whatever it is, or hit a punching bag. And then some days I just need to sit and be quiet and listen. And so, and sometimes you need to be sad and curl up yeah. and cuddle an animal and
0: cry. Like that yes. is a valid coping technique. That's way more
1: natural than downing a bottle of wine. Absolutely. It's so, and I think people can um, sometimes, you know, think about this and think that there's going to be this one thing that I always go to. And I think that that's really not true. I think there's a variety of things because sometimes, you know, like if you're on an airplane, maybe you can't do your rage gardening, but you're feeling anxiety on the, on the airplane and the flight attendants coming and you know, there's a bottle of wine on the cart what are you going to do? You can't rage garden. So you have to have a bunch of different things that you can go to.
0: Yeah. And even, um, I'll link to it in the show notes on an earlier episode. We, I, we did one on managing anxiety and my, my guest talked about the rain technique, which is terabrock. And, um, you know, you can listen to that if you want, but I was just thinking, she talked about that method as being one that you could do in a work meeting meaning like you could, um, you're freaking out at work. And how do you deal with that in the moment if you're in a big meeting? And I was just imagining on an airplane, the rain technique would probably work really well. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, you, you just have to have a lot of stuff to go to. And there's so many people that have great tools. Sometimes it's overwhelming. It's like, oh, my gosh, I want to listen to I I have this like list of fifty different TED talks and oh yeah, you know meditations and all the stuff that I want to listen to because it's all so good. But um, it all comes in time, and I think the most important thing is just when you're thinking about role modeling that for your kids, be just be super honest and yeah. say, man, I don't know what to do right now. I feel whatever fill in the blank, and I don't know what to do. What should we and help you know get them involved? Like, what should we do? Should we should we go? on yeah. a bike ride? Should we try jumping rope? Should we whatever? Um, and they need to see that you don't always have all the answers. It's yeah, totally fine. Yeah, totally fine.
0: And they also need to see that you also feel anxiety, you feel sadness, yes. you feel loneliness, you feel overwhelmed. And, you know, you're, you're talking about it. Because so, so many times we're like, you know, if you're anxious and overwhelmed at work, we feel like we shouldn't burden our kids with that. And you don't want to make them absorb adult problems, but at the same time you're you're modeling that you're human. And so if they feel that way too, hopefully they could talk to you about it.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean right now more kids are are entering treatment programs like wilderness therapy for anxiety and depression than they are for substance use. And Mm -hmm. so it's just a indicator of how much these kids are going through, how much they don't have coping skills. Um, And that's flipped in the last 10 years. It used to be substance use was the number one reason kids would go into wilderness therapy. um, And now that's turned. So it's so important. I um, love that you said that because when I was
0: 16, 15 and 16, I went on six week backpacking trips, uh, first in the Northwest and then in Alaska. Um, my parents were overseas, so I had to go somewhere, <laughs> but I picked that and it was six weeks of camping and hiking and sleeping in a tent with a tent mate with, uh, 20 or 30 kids and having fire circles every night and cooking dinner together and singing and, you know, holding hands and all the things. And I have to say that of my entire childhood, those were the moments that I felt such contentment and connection and joy. And like these people really understood me and cared about me. And then I started drinking and all my girls trips were, you know, drink heavily. And it wasn't until I stopped drinking and, you know, you came to like a sharing circle that we had with our Seattle group last weekend, you know, at our friend's house, that's on a farm, that's just gorgeous. And it was in those kind of moments. And then in the yoga retreats that I've been to, that I felt that joy and contentment and understanding again, the the same thing that I felt when I was 15 and 16 and just overwhelmed by the beauty and the feeling of accomplishment. So I love that you talked about the wilderness retreats
1: because for me, that was, you know, life-changing. It, it's huge. It's so life-changing for kids. And, um and I think, you know, if there's a parent who's listening to this and you're noticing some of these things in your kid, you know, anxiety and depression, they're isolating, they're in their room all the time. Um, video game addiction is a real thing you know, it's not a bad option to look at. Um it, it's not the first option that you want to go to necessarily. Um as far as I'm talking more of like a therapeutic yeah. wilderness therapy, less so like I know there's a couple that are not therapeutic, they're more like a summer camp. Yeah. But if you're looking at a therapeutic one, um, they are really life-changing for kids. My son went, um, he he says today that it saved his life. Uh, mm. because you remove them from the situation that they're in. again, not the first by no means is it the first stop along the road of, of getting help for your kid, but if you've exhausted all of your local resources and they're not responding and you feel like they're in danger, which there's a lot of danger in the, in street drugs today are all laced with fentanyl and kids are overdosing and dying, not addicted. these are these kids are not addicts. they're experimenting they're taking stuff cause they know it'll make them feel different right away. Um, or so everyone else
0: is doing it or it's a party uh, yes, or someone yes, told every, them. Cool. Yep.
1: Yeah. So it's, it's definitely a good thing to look at. Um, there's lots of great programs out there. So anyway, I you'll link I'm sure to my website. Yeah. There's lots of information on there, but it is, it is something to look at and it's a scary thing as a parent to think about that, but um, it's, it's so beautiful. It's such a gift to them to send them to that just like you experienced. It's like, Oh, man, I just treasure those days and those trips and those relationships that you've I'm
0: convinced that's why I moved to Seattle.
1: Because on my first
0: backpacking trip, it was in the Northwest. And um, it was sort of all over um, Wyoming, Oregon, and Washington State, but, you know, spent two days in Seattle and you know, a decade later, I was like, let's move there. That place was yeah. awesome. You had mentioned a couple things. One, that uh, the wilderness therapeutic thing was great, but you said a couple times, that's not the first thing to go to. So I absolutely want to hear the signs that kids may be in trouble and the first things to go to. But also, did we cover the coping mechanisms, both mind, body and community?
1: I feel like we didn't quite talk about community. Yeah, we haven't got to community yet, um, but maybe I'll hold off on that for a minute because that ties into the the community that I host. But Great. if we go back to the first kind of line of defense that you want to turn to if you have a child who's struggling, and when I say child, I'm talking about kind of that early teen, 12, 13, all the way up to 18 when you basically lose control, um, unfortunately, from a legal standpoint. But turning to your local resources, whether that's a local therapist, there's um, what's called APGs, alternative peer groups. And those are basically groups of young people who are trying to be sober and trying to live a healthy life and use better coping mechanisms. And they tend to be in high schools. So there's also sober high schools that people don't know about. And so if you have a kiddo who's been, maybe they've been to treatment, they're coming back or they just want to get away from the bad influences that are at their school. There are sober high schools that they can go to. Um, so there may be a church group, right? There may be in, within your faith community, there may be um, different groups there that they could plug into. There's also like intensive, uh, intensive outpatients. So IOP, and that would be where they might go to a program Like every day for three hours. So they can still go to school. They can still participate basically in normal life, but they're getting some therapeutic help along the way. Um, And that could be local. There's um, organizations, uh, both for profit and nonprofit, that offer mentors. So sometimes kids just need a positive mentor in their life, you know, especially if they're a single mom. There are so many single moms out there that are just struggling because they don't have a positive male influence for their kids. And so there are organizations that offer mentors, and then they also offer parent coaches. So you can be getting coached as the parent at the same time that your kid is being mentored by somebody who's on the same team. So there's lots of resources, and you really want to exhaust all of those because an an out-of-home placement can be I mean, just think about sending your son, like if you were to say, Okay, you're gone now for a year for the next Mm -hmm. year, that's, it's torture. It's so hard. Yeah. So you don't want to turn to that first, Um, exhaust all of these other resources first.
0: Yeah. And I assume in your community on your website, you have a lot of those resources, because I know I've never heard about them. And I can imagine if you're worried about your kid, or you see early signs, you know, not only a possible drug or alcohol use, but also depression, anxiety, you know, cutting, eating disorders. I know they're all varied, but I wouldn't even know where to start. I would probably know yeah. my doctor and maybe a therapist, you know, to begin.
1: Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, I have them on on my website. And then also the um, Partnership for Drug-Free Kids is now called the Partnership to End Addiction But they have, it's just drugfree.org. It's an amazing nonprofit organization. It's got tons of content. They offer free parent coaching. So if you are struggling and you need some resources, you can call. They have a free helpline. They'll sit down with you and work through a plan. They'll assign you a coach who's been where you are before. It's all free. It's incredible. It's like the golden, uh, what is it? Like the hidden gold mine of resources. So- There are resources out there. Um, The problem is a lot of times, you know, as a parent, you're, once you get there, you're like, oh my gosh. And you're kind of in panic mode. And again, going back to emotional regulation, (laughs) you want to be emotionally stable when you're making these hard decisions about your kids. And so when I um, imagine you're feeling all the feelings of anger,
0: resentment, fear, overwhelm, you know you're feeling everything, isolation, um, you don't want to be judged by other parents, you might feel attacked if people are like, your kid's a bad kid. I mean, all of that is coming at you too, and feeling helpless. So
1: you've got a lot to deal with. Absolutely. It's so overwhelming. It's so scary. Everybody's like, well, this would never happen in my family. Like my kid, you know, I mean, I said that my kid would never you know, do this, and so um, you need to be in the best frame of mind that you possibly can be when you're having to find those resources, engage those resources, make really tough decisions about yeah. helping your kid. So, being being really um, present is important. And then, as far as the the things to watch for, I think. Um, moms in particular, and I'm guessing this is mostly women who who listen, but any parent, trust your gut. People constantly that I work with are like, oh, you know, I had these little like yellow flags that were going up when they were 13, 14, even earlier, and I didn't listen to them. And I wish I would have listened to them. So I would say the first thing is listen to your gut. If your gut is telling you something is off because you know your kid better than anybody, you know them better than their pediatrician, you know them better than any therapist, you know them better than the website that you might be looking at that's giving you like, 17 check boxes. you know, is your kid doing this? So trust your gut and don't be ashamed or afraid to reach out for resources. Just like if your kid had diabetes or leukemia or anything, you would be on it all over it, doing the research, calling for resources. So I would say those two things first, but then a little bit more practical maybe would be to really look for a change in friend groups. Typically kids will make a switch and it's usually around eighth grade. They will switch friend groups. Um, It's it's a really common sign. School grades dropping can be a sign, but these kids that tend to be a little bit more um, susceptible to substance use are usually the brilliant ones. And so often they can keep their grades high, even if they're using. So that's not always dropped grades is not always an indicator Um, but definitely also looking for isolation if they're spending more time in their room, if they're spending more time um, online, uh, you know, either video games and I'm talking like all day and if you've lost the relationship. So it's not just one of these things, because as you know, the teen years, they start to get a little wonky anyway. Like there's, you know, they're trying to like separate from you. So parents will say, Oh, I don't know what's normal separation But if you're seeing a combination of these things, all of a sudden, there's different friends hanging around. All of a sudden, they're a little bit evasive about what they're doing, where they're going. They might be spending the night at friends' houses more. So whereas they used to want to either be at home or come home, they're now spending the night elsewhere. Those are all things to look for, changes in their hygiene. I mean, teenagers, especially boys. know The hygiene isn't necessarily their first concern, but if it gets even worse, if they're really not taking care of themselves, that's a sign. But mostly that loss of relationship, because even when a kid's going through normal teen weirdness, you'll still have that relationship. But if you're saying to yourself, I don't even know who that kid is, like, where's my kid? That's a sign that things have gotten Awry, and you're going to want to try to pull in some resources. So, those are just some of the more obvious things, but really, I just encourage people to trust your gut. It's so dead on usually. Um, You might not know what is wrong, but you know something is wrong, and that's where you want to step in. And I say that uh, because the drugs that are out there now are so much more dangerous than they were five years ago, 10 years ago. So, like I said before, kids are dying from fentanyl overdoses that are not addicts. These are just regular old kids who are experimenting. They oh, go to it's a party. So terrifying. There's a bowl of pills. They pop a few pills because that's one of the things that kids are doing now is to see who can sort of get um, blacked out first. So they'll combine alcohol and what they do is at the, their pill party. So they'll say, everybody go in your parents' medicine cabinet take a few pills of whatever you can find, bring them to a party. They put them in a big bowl in the middle of a table and say, okay. And they'll just start taking them until the, like the first person blacks out the most terrifying thing to think about as a parent, but this is happening. And so again, <laughs> helping your kid realize like, I don't need to do that. Um, I don't need to start doing that kind of stuff because I can have fun in lots of other ways is so important. Um but the just the risk and the danger today is, it's just insane. Um, it's so, so sad. And we have lost three kids in our community in the last three months because of this exact reason. Kids are experimenting. Two of the three, actually all three of them had been in treatment, been out of treatment, were doing better, um, but went back and just took that one pill. And they're usually almost always alcohol involved also. And that combination just suppresses your breathing and they don't wake up. Oh my so God. it's not something that you can really afford not to address. Um, so if it feels awkward to have this conversation, you know, with your kid about emotions or about your body or about whatever, think of how much worse it's going to be if you're standing at their funeral. And I don't say that to be overly dramatic. I just say it because it's happened three times in the last three months with people I know. and those parents are saying, look, look at the yellow flags. Don't ignore those flags. You've got to hop on those. And there's just not time anymore with fentanyl in the market. There's just not time to hem-haw around about it or think maybe it's a phase. Um, Just can't do it anymore. So.
0: And so what would you say to parents who have younger kids um, because now I'm like, I need to get off this, get off this podcast and go talk to Hank. And she'll be like, Thanks, Mom, what the fuck?
1: <laughs> but like, like what,
0: who are you talking to? <laughs> in terms of like, as opposed to just like, don't do drugs. Like, what would you say to a kid before possible I don't even think he's been to a party, you know? But yeah. like
1: just to be like, here's the danger. What do you recommend? I just making it part of the conversation, just saying straight up, dude, there are pills out there. It would be like handing you a beer and saying, here, it's half of it is cyanide, but half of it is Coors Light. Go ahead and, and drink it. That's the equivalent of what it is today. Sort of like so Russian you, roulette. When It you- is 1000% Russian roulette. And so you just need to be that open with them. But Also, at the same time saying, you know, I know, you know, your kid, I know you feel anxious sometimes. What do you do when you feel that way? Mm -hmm. What, you know, or what makes you feel that way? Um, What can I do to help you when you feel that way? What are things that you found that have helped? You just have to normalize the conversation and let them know. A, it may be in your DNA. You may have a, a family history of addiction, and and that's a great conversation to have to say. Just like cancer, this is another thing that you have in, loaded in your gun, or you may not. You may not have anything loaded in your gun. But the the other thing that I would say is to look at there's um, the ACEs test, which is a, adverse childhood experiences, and it's just ten questions that you can ask of yourself or your child and it's just about childhood traumas and things that have happened and typically when we hear the word trauma we think of like war and rape and all these horrific things yeah, and trauma can be use, yeah. yeah trauma can be a car accident it could be your sister trying to commit suicide these are real things and so you can take this short test get your score if you have a score of 3 or higher you're more susceptible to substance use and then that can just normalize the conversation too to say wow buddy look at look at this score that you have we need to talk about this you know this means that you might need a different kind of doctor than we've been taking you to maybe we need to take you to a doctor where you can just talk yeah. you know so um just getting really real don't be afraid to have the conversation um you can't afford not to and um let them know it's okay to talk to you about it you know a lot of times kids don't talk to their parents because they're afraid they're going to send them to treatment yeah. it, it can sound crazy but kids are really afraid of that so just being honest and saying i don't want to send you to treatment i i so the last thing i want first of all it's like crazy expensive <laughs> so you really don't want to <laughs> yeah but to them you know saying i don't want you to be to go anywhere i want you to be here in our home i want us to be together but we just have to be able to talk about this stuff and i promise to you i will not freak out i will not shame you i will not blame you i will not make you feel like a bad person if you came home and you said mom i drank at the party last night okay why why were you feeling like that why did you feel like you needed to instead of you're grounded, I'm taking your phone, I'm taking the car, Da, 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 da you know, just, okay, why? What wow. happened? Tell me what that felt like. You know, so you have to get moved more a little bit into a consultant type role, than the authoritative, coming down harsh, all these things are going to happen. And that doesn't mean that there won't be consequences, because there should be consequences. But they need to know you genuinely want to understand why did yeah. you do that? Why are you feeling like you want to numb out? Why are you feeling like you want to pop a Xanax? Because these kids in high school are taking Xanax like it is candy. And so it's just a conversation you have to get comfortable having.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm totally oblivious to all the things you're you're scaring me, but in I'm a
1: sorry No, in, oh,
0: in a good I need to learn this shit way. Um yeah. about what you know, what's going on. But I totally hear the, you know, peer pressure or what other people are doing. I mean, when I was in college, it was a sport. Literally the goal was to throw up and blackout on the rugby team. Like that that was the regular you know that was the goal, and yeah. um I can only imagine if it was a stronger drug than uh
1: than beer, yeah yeah, absolutely, and it yeah. is, and so we just have to be getting comfortable with those un- uncomfortable conversations with yeah. our kids um,
0: and I know you've talked about this um that a lot of times when moms have kids doing opioids, doing stuff that has fentanyl in it, it can be really easy to minimize wine, beer, cocktails, a gin and tonic, right? You're yes. like, I'm stressed. I'm not doing heart addictive drugs. Right. Therefore, there's nothing to see here. And yes, the idea that not only will stopping drinking help you emotionally regulate yourself help you be there for them um but also drinking is not helping you deal with the stress it's just not you know we think that it is helping us and that it is part of our toolkit it's actually making your anxiety your depression your overwhelm your fear so much worse than it would be otherwise i know it's hard to get out of it but it's not helping
1: right right and you know i think some of some of moving away from that comes through education um i didn't know until i started listening to your podcast and other podcasts about just physiologically what's going on in your body when you drink alcohol so i think that's super important and interesting just to learn what's going on that's
0: crazy so cuz you're in the community dealing with addiction so you didn't actually know that stuff
1: nope did not know it is I mean, it because
0: you just thought it was in a different category, like hard drugs,
1: wine. bad wine, perfectly fine? Absolutely. I mean, I knew in general, like, it's probably not really great for your body. But on the other hand, you hear these reports of, you know, red wine is healthy, you know, glass yeah. of red wine is healthy. And, and so it just, yes, it seemed like it was in a different category. When if
0: you like, it sounds like you weren't drinking two hangovers daily like I was no. or not remembering stuff at night. So you don't do, no. you know, but you still got to the point to say, I don't, this, I don't want to do this anymore. I mean, yeah. You know, that's, I think that's great.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, you wake up enough mornings with, I want to, I mean, maybe it was a hangover. I don't know how you define that, but just feeling like really ragged and my head kind of, not throbbing but just not great, you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. like this icky feeling. And and when you do that long enough and you just think, well, this is just how I feel in the morning. And then you realize, oh, this is not just how I feel in the morning is amazing. But back to your your comment about yeah, I just I mean it's just because alcohol is everywhere. Mm -hmm. There was, I was not making the connection. Well, and
0: you're in marketing and advertising.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm over here, like I'm in Napa at photo shoots for five days, staying at a winery with all these famous photographers and, you know, like it's glamorous, it's beautiful. And so, yeah. So I wasn't making the, the connection, but I think when you are thinking about, um, if you have a, a kid and you're worried or they're or they're struggling, you're just doing, you're just kind of stacking the cards against yourself if you are not fully present, fully aware, um, because you are going to have to make some hard decisions, whether that's a local, you know, somebody to help your kid, or whether that's an out-of-home placement. These are really hard decisions. I will tell you <laughs> really, yeah. really hard. And if you're making those under the influence of anything, yeah, you, first of all, you're going to doubt your decision. You're going to doubt, am I doing the right thing? Because there's just, there's just that fuzziness around you. And so really like the best gift that you could give yourself if you're not willing to you know, to say, oh, I'm going to quit forever, just say, okay, for now, a, I want to role model to my child that yeah. this isn't how we deal with hard things. And so maybe I'll do it for a while or, and then I'll see how it feels and maybe it's going to feel great and I'll want to continue, but, you know, and, and I think this is what you talk about too, is like, just think a hundred days. Just try it. Or, yeah. Just try it. And then it's not like alcohol's going to go anywhere.
0: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. So it'll be there after three it'll months from now, but you yeah. might feel so good. You're not going to want to go back to it. And that's, oh. that's my belief. Cause that's my experience and the experience of so many other women and these coping skills. I mean, that Brenda's talking about, they can help you the mind, the body, the community, I know all of them have been huge for me, because even when you remove the alcohol, there's still life underneath and the stresses and, and your emotions that you never developed healthy coping skills with. And I know, exercise and therapy and medication, and, um, you know, all the other things, as well as community, like talking to people in groups getting real about your emotions getting real with my friends about drinking and not drinking and anxiety and then also sharing circles if you find them or other other women on the alcohol free path I mean all of these things for you are so healing and you model them for your kids and you know talk about your need for love and when you're lonely, and when you're sad, and it's not just if your kids are doing hard drugs, it's so much else. I mean, I know, um, suicide and depression is a real concern. um, But also cutting and eating disorders, and just general, you know, sadness and, and feeling lonely or bullying. I mean, there's so much that your kids need healthy coping mechanisms from. So thank you so much for sharing them.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the community part is huge. And we have um, in the stream is a community that I host for moms of kids who are struggling, either experimenting or addicted or in treatment or, or sober living. And, you know, when you can sit with, a hundred other moms who know exactly what you're going through and you don't have to be ashamed of it. You don't have to sugarcoat what happened last night. You don't have to do any of that. It is so healing. And um, you find out you're a lot more like other people than you, you know, you might think, oh, I'm the only one going through this. I'm the worst mom. If I hadn't gotten divorced, if I had gotten divorced, if I hadn't, done that thing. Or if I had done that thing, you just, you realize we're all in the same boat. Like we're Mm -hmm. all dealing with the same thing. We did not cause our kids to go and do this. And I I think that's another important thing I want to make sure and, and get across is that even if you are not modeling healthy behaviors right now, and your child is struggling with substances, it is not your fault. You did not make them do that because I have multiple kids and only one ended up going that way. The other one went the opposite way. You know what I mean? So yeah it's not that you're causing it and i think that's super important to to make sure and mention but you have the opportunity to show that there's a different way and so wherever you can do that is is important but yeah sitting with a community of other people and you look around and you're like oh she looks just like me yeah oh she's a therapist and she has a son in treatment or she's a pediatrician and she has a, a daughter who's you know cutting or whatever it is it just makes you realize that it doesn't matter and that's the thing about addiction is it is equal opportunity man it is yeah. <laughs> well
0: addiction. I mean and also just like alcohol right this shit's addictive right so yes. it's not that you did anything wrong or even that the kids did anything wrong like you with enough exposure to a substance that is surrounding them if it's in their social circles, it will work as designed. I mean, you Absolutely. will want to consume more and more often. And some of these are highly, highly, highly addictive, yeah. um, you know, and it doesn't discriminate, right? You know, single parents, married parents, high socioeconomic, low socioeconomic um, does not discriminate.
1: No. And unfortunately the resources available do discriminate, um, which is just incredibly painful and hard. So um, unfortunately everybody doesn't have the same access to treatment or even information and prevention. Um, So there is definitely a a, um, disparity there for sure as a privileged white woman. I'm sitting here talking about how my son went to treatment and all these things, yeah. which is amazing that I had that ability to to do that for him. So there is discrimination as far as what's available, but the substance itself works the same on every brain. Um, yeah. And and yeah, it's when it's designed to do that, it's not only that you want to use more, it's that you have to use more. As you know, if you've been drinking one glass of wine a night for a year pretty soon, you're not going to get the same feeling after one glass of wine, you have to go to two glasses of wine, yeah. right? So heroin is the same. Oxycontin is the same Percocet, Xanax, all of those are exactly the same. And so once, yeah. once it hits the brain, you've kind of lost control of what you're going to do with it. So yeah,
0: well, I know that that you're doing such amazing work on your podcast and in your community. So if you um, anyone listening to this is worried about their kids or just wants to be more informed or more informed about what's out there and warning signs, I really encourage you to listen to uh, Brenda's podcast. And can you tell us um like where
1: people can find you? What's
0: your website, etc.?
1: Yeah, just brendazane.com. And from there you can find the podcast, you can find the community. It's a private membership community. It is not on Facebook. Um, it's a very positive healing space. I'm a, I'm a health and wellness coach. And so we really focus on mom's health and wellness and sanity. We talk less about our kids. So um, this is all about you. It's a space for you to heal and to find resources. Um, so yeah, it's all at my website, brendazane.com. And I'm on Instagram at the.stream.community. It's a little weird, but um that's the name. The stream community is where we hang out and my podcast is Hope Stream. And yeah, I talk about all day, I talk about addiction and treatment and coping skills for parents and moms and all that. So
0: And before we go, tell us tell us how your
1: son's doing now because he <laughs> yes. So he um, is doing amazing. He struggled for about six years with a very um, severe addiction to not just substances, but also a high-risk lifestyle, Overdose twice in 2017 on fentanyl, and he today is miraculously doing fabulous, um, studying to be a psychologist. He wants to go work with young kids oh, who are struggling. he's Yeah, he's going to be... Um, hopefully in January, moving out to work at the treatment program that he ran away from when he was 17 years old. So oh, I'm getting it all emotional.
0: That's amazing. And I, I know you've been through
1: so much hell. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, and it can change and it can change and it can take a long time. And so that's going back to the community. you gotta have a team around you yeah and the moms need support the
0: mothers need support um, oh
1: my gosh Yeah, for
0: everything and so talking about this i know really helps well thank you for being on here i really appreciate it and so glad to know you and be your friend
1: you too
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the hello someday podcast Addiction impacts all of us, addictions, consequences
1: run through all of us from ourselves to our loved ones and to our communities. Addiction creates so much loss and grief. My name is Dwayne Osterlin and I'm the host of the Addicted Mind podcast,
0: a show featuring personal stories, expert guests, and vital information about addiction and addiction
1: recovery.